0: Go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 13. Let's go ahead and stand. I know it's a long time. There's three verses. We'll pray and then you can sit back down, okay? All right, Exodus chapter 13 and we're going to start reading in verse number 8. And it says this, it says, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. It shall be a sign; it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, and for the laws, Lord's law, may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in His season from year to year. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you for the story of Moses, a man of movement. God, you were always moving him, and he was willing to do whatever you wanted, although it wasn't easy. You gave him a task that only he could fulfill. Lord, may we see the task that you give us, and may we fulfill the task that you give us. Thank you again for all the things you've done. Thank you for the music we've heard. May we apply this, this story in our lives, and may we be different for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at this story, I want you to engulf yourself with this story. Everybody knows the story. That's a problem with Bible stories. You know what's going to happen. You know they're going to get through. You know they're going to be okay. You know they're going to they're go in the, in the wilderness for 40 years. Some of the problems that they, they, they had. But I want you to engulf yourself and think outside the box of you've never heard this story. You don't know what's going to happen. This is what God is telling them what He needs to do, what, what the Israelites need to do before they do the last place. This is going to, It's going to show every aspect of this and, and what they're going to do and, and He wants everybody to understand who God is. Isn't it great to know who God is? And so I want, to, I want to point out a few things to you with this. Think outside the box, but I want to ask you, God wants to answer questions, amen? He does, but He doesn't always have to answer them. He can do the proverbial parent, question, parent statement. What is it? Because I said so. You ever heard that? I mean, I remember thinking that. I thought that was the most absurd thing for them to say to me. And then you know what? When I had kids, because I said so, I didn't have to explain everything to them. God wants to answer some of your questions. God wants us to be able to answer questions that that people might have to you. We need to quit breaking down barriers. We need to set some ancient landmarks. The Bible says, and Solomon wrote this in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28, it says, Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. There are some things that don't need to change. So often churches are changing everything. You go into church sometimes and they're black. There's black walls up. There's lights everywhere. And they're trying to adhere to a group of people that won't stay for anything. If they come for that, they'll leave for that. There's always something bigger. And we've got to see that God wants us. Solomon writes this, he says, listen, remove not the ancient landmarks. Back in the biblical days, they would do what the country people would do. There's a stone over here, there's a barn over here, and there's a a cave over here. All that property's mine. Those, Those landmarks meant something. The landmark that God has set for our Bibles and for what we need to do and how we should study and what we should read and how we should preach and how we should sing. It should be something that we set down in stone. God does have the answers to things. He does. But He doesn't always have to answer you. (laughs) Don't you love it when He says yes? Are you ever shocked when He says yes? Sometimes I pray and go, God's never going to answer that prayer. And then He answers and you go, Wow. And then, then sometimes when he says no, I get disappointed. And later on, I find out why he said no. But the ones I always hated the most was when he says, wait. Just wait, and I'll show you. I'll help you through that. God does have the answers. And I want to say this to you. God gives us knowledge and examples of why he established things for us. Look at Exodus chapter 13 one more time. We're going to read a few more verses in this. It says in verse number 8, it says, And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is, the, this is done because of that which the Lord had did, did unto me, when I came forth out of Egypt. And this shall be a, a for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for the memorial between thine eyes and the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep His ordinances in the season from year to year. Keep reading, and it. it says this, And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, as He sware unto thee, and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee, thou shalt, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of the beasts which thou hast. The males shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among the children shalt thou redeem. And it shall be when, they, when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? Why are you doing this? What is this? And look what he says. But thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, From the house of bondage. I think that's very interesting. He doesn't say there's anything that they've done. He says everything that got you out of that house of bondage was me. You know what will get you out of the house of bondage? God and God alone. You have a problem. You have a a besetting sin. You know what? The only thing that's going to help you is God. You can't do it on your own. People try, but they can't get it. We don't have enough willpower to do that. But God can help you through it because He's stronger than either. Remember the the words He is. He's a mighty God. He's the strongest. He's the mightiest. So we've got to see this and we've got to understand that God wants us to be able to tell others what He's done. It's not anything that we've done. I I hear Meredith sing and 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 I love hearing her voice except when she's yelling at me. But when she sings, I just see God using that ability. It's nothing that she has gotten. It's something that God has given her. I look at Daniel and Josh and they both can play the piano. I, I've taught them a few things, chopsticks and Mary had a little lamb and all that stuff. But I, I, you know, I sit there and I'm in awe of them playing the piano. I want to I brag on Daniel. These offertories that he's done in December were amazing. I think Kelly was helping them a little bit with them, singing them with them, and, and then Landon jumps in and he does all this stuff. But as I, I hear these songs, beautiful songs, but they better get to the point that they realize it's nothing that they have done. Of course, they put some hard work in. Do you ever practice? You practice? How much do you practice? Very much? Well, don't be shy. How many, how many hours, when you were younger, how many hours did you play the piano, Daniel? What? Three hours a week, four hours a week, how much did you practice? Two hours a day, two hours a week, a day. So you don't get to where you can play the piano by not practicing God gave you that ability and you can play. How many of you can play the piano? A little bit. Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Okay. Alright, there's a few that can. You don't get there and just think, okay, I'm going to YouTube it. Amen. Bless God, I'm going to get it. Meredith YouTube one song and that's the only song she played for four years. Amen. YouTubing it. Oh yeah, you can do it. You can learn one song. But you know how you get it? By hard work. But God has given them that ability. I mean, I watched them, and, and, and Josh, came, um, J- Daniel was a little bit late today, so Josh played the first song in our, in our practice for the choir. just picked up a song and started playing it. I wouldn't want to do that. Daniel can do that. Daniel, sometimes we've been in choir practice, and I said, let's do this song, and he didn't even know, they don't even know. The choir doesn't know it. We've not even went over it. I just say, Daniel, can you play it? And he plays it. You know, it's an ability, and they can sit there and go, wow, look at me, look at, if you want to come, they'll sign your Bibles afterwards, they'll sign your hymnals, whatever you want them to do. But you know what they better realize? It's nothing that they have done, it's all God's given them. I'm going to give you five questions today, tonight, and I want you to answer these questions, and it's a story of this. It's a story of Moses getting out of Egypt and going to the Red Sea. I want to ask you five questions, and I really want you to ponder over these questions, and here are the questions, and then we'll look at all of them. Number one, the first one's going to be a weird question. Why Exodus chapter 12, 11 through 17? We'll read those in just a second. Why did God write Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 through 17? Now, the other questions, you're going to understand them a little bit more, and I want you to think of these answers. Number, the second one is, does God know you? Does God know you? Strengths, weaknesses, He knows all of you. Second question, is God with you? Absolutely, He is with you. The third question, does Satan have some answers? Does ha- Satan have all the answers? And the fifth, fifth question is this, Does God allow str- why does God allow struggles and problems? Well, let's go through these and let's look at these. Let's go to Exodus chapter, 11, uh, Exodus chapter 12. And I want you to read this. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. And again, we all know, let's just say it, we all know that they get through the Red Sea and everything's okay. But to the Red Sea and when they get there, let's look at these verses. Here in in Exodus chapter 12, the plague is not, the 10th plague is not going to come in until verse number 29. God is setting this all up and He's trying to teach them about the Passover. He's trying to teach them about the blood. Now look what it says. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 through 17, I want to see if you can figure out where I'm going with this. He says in verse number 11, he says, and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. It's talking about when they they make a sacrifice. It says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite of the, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Then he says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be with you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now keep reading in verse number 14, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial that ye shall keep it to a feast of the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall keep it as a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be an holy convocation. In the seventh day there shall be an, an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. Now watch verse number 17. And ye shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread, for in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generation by an ordinance forever. Did you understand what they're saying to do in this? They're saying that they're going to have a sacrifice and they have to eat it a certain way. They give them all the details. They also, he also illustrates to them that they're going to take the blood and they're going to do what? Put it on the the doorway. Well, I find that very interesting that he says that to them for a certain certain few reasons. What were the ten plagues? Let's start with the first one. Anybody know the first one? Water to what? Blood. What was the second one? Frogs. The next one, we love these flies. And right after that, I'm sorry, um, lice is the third one. Flies is the fourth one. Pestilence is the fifth one. What's the sixth one? Anybody know? Boils. Don't you just love a sore like that? After the boils come the what? From the sky. What comes down from the sky? The hail comes down. Then he sends these little small grasshoppers called what? Locusts. And then he has what? What's the ninth one? Remember the ninth one? We shut, shut all the lights off, what will we be? We'd be in darkness. And then we have the 10th one that's coming on the scene right now, and it's going to be the firstborn. He tells them what to do not to lose your firstborn. He says they will go, but he will go by if he sees the blood on the post, everything's going to be okay. But why? Why did he write that? Let me give you my illustration. I want you to see if you can see where I'm going. Go to verse. Go to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. We're going to go through some of these really quick. I want you to see this. Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. It says this. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee and upon thy servants and upon thy people and into thy houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and and also the ground wherein they are. Um, Keep reading in verse number 22, it says, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To an end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth, and I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And guess what God sent flies? So, Pastor Wagner, what does that mean? Let's go to the next one. Go to um, chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. It says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go, and wilt, and wilt hold him still, them still, behold, a hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the, the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, upon the sheep, and there shall be a very grievous murrain. It says in verse number 4, and the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is of the children of Israel. Okay, there's the, there's the, um, the pestilence. Go to verse number 8. It says this, And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, Take to the, you handfuls of ashes of, of the furnace, and let Pete Moses sprinkle it up toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh, and it shall become small dust, in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a, bo- shall be a boil breaking forth with blands upon man and upon beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up towards heaven, and it became a boil breaking forth with blands upon man and upon beasts. Look at verse number 11. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils upon the magician and upon, what's the next three words? All the Egyptians. I don't know if you see where I'm going yet. Let's keep going. Go to, go to verse number 22 in this same chapter. It says in verse number 22, and it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in the land of Egypt, upon, upon man and upon beast, and upon every herb of the field, throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire ran along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with hail. Um, very grievous such as there was none like it in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Now watch this. It says in verse number 25, and the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb of the field and brake every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen where the children of Israel were, was there was no hail. All right, go to Exodus chapter 10. We're almost done. Go to verse number 21. So the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from their place for their three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. You know, Did God know where the Israelites were? Absolutely He did. Did He know them? Absolutely He did. I mean, He knew them through the flies. They didn't have the flies. They didn't have the pestilence. They didn't have the boils. They didn't have the hail. They didn't have the darkness. Then why was Exodus 12, verses 11 through 17 written in the Bible? Why did God single out this one and not any of the other ones? You say, what are you trying to say? He knew where the Israelites were all during all the plagues. Now, if you go to, go to number eight, the locusts, the locusts destroyed everything. But if you go through almost all of them except the first couple, He signals out and He, he singles out and does not go after the Israelites. And can I ask you this one simple question? What did the Israelites have to do with the first nine plagues? They only had to be what? Israelites. Then why did he change it in verse number 10? It's very important as a Christian to understand this. Because it signifies the importance of one thing. Signifies the importance that they had to act upon what God said. They didn't have to do any actions with the other ones, but they had to act on this one. And what was the important aspect of this? It's one word. What is it? The blood. If one person signified, listen, I don't think I'm going to do it. I'm not going to put the blood up. I'm an Israelite. All these other things have worked. Nothing has happened to me. I'm not going to do it. They would wake up and guess what? They would have a dead child somewhere in that house. I want to tell you something. It's very important you understand the blood. And God is showing the Israelites, listen, you didn't have to do anything with the other ones, but you have to do something with this one. When you do something with this one, you're going to be okay. The blood changes everything. Jesus was not strangled. He was crucified. He was beaten for me. He was hung on a cross for me. He shed His blood for me. His blood meant something. Even in the Old Testament, this is setting up the lambs to be slaughtered, the lambs to be killed we've got to understand this. Why was this written? Why was Exodus chapter 12 written? It was to show the significant aspect and the most important thing in the Bible and it's the blood that was shed. Well, with it, we would not have life. We better understand that. We better see that. He didn't make them, hey, listen, you've got to put, got to put blood, on the wall, blood on the side so that the flies won't mess with you. He knew who they were. Just like he knows who we are, but he wants us to do certain things, praise God. Aren't you thankful for that? That God took care of this, and that's why Exodus chapter 12 was written in the Bible. The blood is important. If someone tells you the blood's not important, they're not reading their Bible. That is the only reason why Jesus was born in a stable was because of the blood on the cross. He was going to die, and he was going to shed his blood for us, and he was going to overcome death. I've never been to a funeral where I think I'm going to go back in three days and see see what happens if they come back. Oh, I'll see them later, my loved ones. And what makes me be able to see them later is the blood that was shed. So number one, why Exodus chapter 12? Because of the blood. It's important. And and Moses is signifying this to them. The next question is this. Does God know you? (laughs) Too well, doesn't he? You ever met a friend and you have something you don't want them to know, then they get to know it? Doesn't that make just life wonderful? Sharing with what Randy did the other day and running that red light. He came back with me and he got me. And he sat in front of Brandon and he said, well, at least I wasn't talking on my phone like you were. And then I clarified it with Brandon. I asked Brandon, I said, are you sure you can't talk on the phone when you're at a red light? He said, you know what, Brandon had the audacity to tell me. He said, no, you can't. And he said, anybody in this church that talks on their phone, he will arrest you on site. Isn't that what you said? Okay, you might not have said that last thing, but he said everything else. You know, sometimes we don't want people to know us, but God knows us. I want you to turn your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter 13. Some of these things I find very interesting. Exodus chapter 13, and if you are writing things down, write verse number 17 down. Verse number 17, Exodus chapter 13, God knows us. You want to know why God sent him to the Red Sea? Look at verse number 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines because that's the way they should have went. He says, listen, I'm going to send you a different direction. Although that was near. That'd be like saying, okay, I'm going to go to Powell's, but I'm going to drive all the way to... Blount, Blountville or Blountville, however you want to say it, amen, I still can't get that one. Blunt, is it Blountville? Bluntville. I'm going to go all the way to Blountville. When there's a pals right here, well, we know some of the management at the ones by ours, so we're going to go to a different one, amen? That doesn't make any sense. He says that he knows us because look at this. Although this was near for God said, let's pre-adventure the people repent when they see war, they see problems and they return to Egypt. But look at what verse number 18 says. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness in the, to the Red, of the Red Sea. See, God had this plan all the way through this. He said, listen, we're going to take them to the Red Sea. They can't go back. Does God know you? God know when you complain? Has God ever humbled you when you complain? There are always people that have are less fortunate than you. America doesn't even it, understand it. We don't see it. We live in a great country. We have great advantages. We don't, we don't, we don't have to worry about when we're driving down the road, what's going to happen. We don't have to worry about bombs on the side of the road for, for the most sake. We just drive everywhere we want to go. Not so in other countries. God does know us. And he knows what it takes to to make us. We can make excuses. We can have problems. But just to show you how much God loves you, look at verse number 19. Because this, I think, is just something extra that God throws in. Look what it says in verse number 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and he will carry my bones away hence with you. This is over 400 years ago. He's going to carry these bones. It shows the significance of how much God cared for Joseph. The same man that built this Egypt up, they're carrying him out as they tear it down. God knows us, praise God. Aren't you thankful that He knows you? Let me ask you this third question. Is God with you? He knows us and He knows sometimes we're going to go, oh, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. How's God going to take care of this? How many of you ever consider yourself a worry wart? I mean, I sometimes am. I say, oh, well, sometimes we look at the negative of everything. You ever been there? I know usually it's me and somebody else, but I'm telling you sometimes I worry like, oh, my word. I don't know what's going to happen. When you become an administrator of a Christian school, I want to tell you what you become. You become looking at liabilities. You say, no, that child should not be there, and he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't walk that way. We should put a bubble around him so nothing happens to him. People get hurt real easy, don't they? We've got to see that God still cares and He wants us to know that He's there. So what does He do to the Israelites? He knows they're going to doubt what's going on. He knows that they're going to complain. He already knows what they're going to say. Well, how are we going to, how are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to do? And for 40 years He listened to it. Look at what it says in here where we know that God is with you. Go to Exodus chapter 13 and verse 21 and 22. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud and led them their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by night, nor the pillar of the fire by night, cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. This shows you that God is with you. It's just showing the Israelites even through the struggles of the wilderness, at any given time, day or night, they could look up and see where God is. Isn't that great to know that God is with us? So why Exodus chapter 12? Because of the blood. Number two, how does, God, does God know you? Absolutely does. He knows our problems. He knows our concerns. Number three, is God with us? Absolutely. He shows Himself all the time. Now, He's not going to do a pillar and a cloud for you. But there's no doubt in my life that there's times when I can feel Jesus walking right beside me. And there's no no doubt in my life that when I walk away from certain things and I know God just gives you the grace to get through it. He sure is there, isn't He? The fourth question is this. Does Satan have the answers? Well, he thinks he does. But he doesn't have all the answers. Thank God for that. Go to Exodus chapter 14. And I want you to just look at this. And this says in Exodus chapter 14, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, that they turn not the the encamp before Pehitharoth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Belezaphon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he shall follow after them and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts and that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they did so. See, he sends them away that we know that it's going to separate, that Red Sea is going to separate them. But he also sends them away where the Pharaoh and his army also know that they have nowhere to go. See, Satan thinks he knows all the answers and he's going to get into Pharaoh's heart and he's going to chase after them. But there's a limitation that, Pharaoh, he, that that Satan can do. He can't do anything that God won't allow him. If he has to do something, he has to have God's permission to do it. He can't just ravagely go out there and do whatever he wants. It's all in God's plan. So in God's plan, it actually sets Pharaoh back. He says, listen, I know where they went. I know where they are, and they can't go anywhere. Sometimes those are the best times in your life when you can't rely on your ability, your personality, your past experiences. Do you think Moses knew where he was going? I do. He was just following God's leader, le- leading. Can you imagine if you were Moses? Now, we all know what happens. He's got a million people with him, over a million people with him. And he's sending them to a place where they can't go anywhere. And they're supposed to get out. Satan thinks he's got all the answers, doesn't he? But my last question to you is this. Why does God allow struggles and problems in your life? Well, he's going to answer that question with this one. Keep going and let's read this. Why the Red Sea? Verse number 5 in chapter um, chapter 14 says this. It says, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? Why have we let them go? he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. It says verse number 7, He took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. So he's taking basically the rest of his army and the ones that mean a lot to him because he's going to get all those men back. Look at what it says. It says he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and, and captains over every one of them. He's got all these people and he's going he's gonna to round up these millions of people with just this mountain. Now watch it, it says, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea beside Feheroth, before Bezethethon. And when Pharaoh drew drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. They were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Now, you've got to be careful when you read this, because it says all of his chariots have gone, and all of his men have gone. They're all going to take them back, so they think. And so what happens with most, most Baptists? Verse number 12. Go to verse number 12. It says this. It says... Um, Let's go to verse number 11. It says, And they said unto Moses, because there were no... Let's go to 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt, uh, dealt, uh, dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Now look at verse number 12. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? You think it was good over there? They were taking all their supplies away and saying to make the same things. You know what they're doing? Complaining. You ever been in a situation? They're scared, mind you. They've just came out of this, and they know on both sides of them are mountains. They can't get out. And the, and the Egyptians are coming in and they're marching on them. And behind them is the Red Sea. They are scared to death. We all know the story, but don't jump ahead. Just think about what they're thinking. Listen, we, we should have just been buried in Egypt. You bring us out here and now they're going to march us back and they're probably thinking, if they get us, it's going to be even worse when we get back. I would say they weren't saying if they could get us. I think they say when they get us. Keep reading in verse number 12. It says, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. They are not going to die. But isn't that what sometimes we do? Woe is me. My mom and dad, I never did understand this. They say, say are you going to go to the garden and eat worms? You ever heard that? statement? Anybody heard that statement before? Never understood that because I never thought I want to go to the garden and eat worms. So I said that to my kids. I have no idea what that means. Just go to the garden and eat worms if you're going to complain all the time. I never thought when my dad said that, let's go out there and do that. That sounds pretty good. I did have a teen activity where they ate worms, but I didn't eat any. Amen. As I look at this, I think, what is going on? They're sitting in a situation and they're complaining about it, saying, listen, we should have just stayed in Egypt. You know what God's trying to do to them? He's trying to stretch them. ever try to stretch your faith? He's really, what they don't understand is he's really stretching their faith, but can you imagine what Moses is feeling? The pressure that this man is under. You want to talk about a CEO problem? This guy had everything, to, everything on the line with this. He had no idea what's going to happen. He, has, he knows that God's in control and God has led him this way, and all these people that he brought with him are complaining about everything. Keep reading verse number 13. It says in verse 13 And Moses said unto them, said unto his people, What's the first two words? First three words. Fear ye not. I've heard that before. Don't be scared. Isn't it wonderful when you're going through something and someone goes, listen, God will take care of it. Isn't it just wonderful when someone just steps up and says, you know, God will take care of it. Don't you worry. I've been through it before. God will take care of it. It doesn't change the fact that you're scared. It doesn't. And as you look at this, he tells them fear not, but you know what he also tells them? Keep reading And what he says to them is he says their salvation is of the Lord. God's going to take care of them. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Have you ever wondered why he said stand still? You know what I personally think? I think personally some of them wanted to go back to the Egyptians so that they wouldn't have to deal with being captured and even, they just want to say, listen, I've got my hands up. I, I don't want anybody to hurt me. I'm going to do whatever you want. He says, listen, I want you to fear not and stand still and keep reading. It says, and see the salvation of the Lord. It says, in this which he will show to you this day, for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall shall see them again no more forever. Now, you know what they're thinking? They're thinking that they can see that they can see the the smoke coming, they can see the the stirring of everything, they know they're coming, they they know they're they're going to be taken over. They're scared to death. And think about what they have. It's interesting that God calls them their armies. The armies of the Israelites are going to come out. They don't have an army yet. They just have people. They were not allowed to have weapons when they were in Egypt. And now they're going out. And you know what they've got? They've got their wives. They've got their children. And they've got their animals. And they've got the gold that they've taken from the Egyptians. They don't sound like they've got anything that they can go against these these Egyptians. And the Egyptians are fighting machines. And they're stuck between two mountains... a a body of water and these guys coming in about it's going to be a massacre and Moses stands up and says fear not, listen, it's going to be okay, this day you won't see them again and keep reading the next verse God will fight for his own in verse number 14 the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace now The key element that I want you to see this is this. Is the next verse. Don't read it yet. But why does God allow you to have problems? Why does God allow you to have struggles? Wouldn't you just love your life where everything was wonderful? Wouldn't you? Oh, if you had all the money, you could could just burn money because you had so much. You had the nicest cars. You had the, the nicest house. You had the the most wonderful clothes. You had all these things and everything is just wonderful in your life. That's not normal. In fact, everybody in the Bible, that's anybody in the Bible, guess what made their name, the struggles they went through. Watch. You've seen me do this. Jonah and the... Think that was a good moment? How many of you have ever thought you'd be in the ocean? How many of you have seen that Pacific Life um, commercial where that whale comes out of the water? You know, I've often thought, I'd just love to be swallowed by that whale. That would just be an experience I wouldn't forget. Three days later, I'd just come out on the ocean, I'd, I'd be okay. Daniel and the... Oh, that was a wonderful thing. But everybody knows the story. What about this? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace. You know all these things we know about these people? Their problems. But God got the answer. And sometimes we don't understand God. Because he says one word. And I love this. My favorite verse of this whole story of Moses comes down to this next one. Because sometimes you don't know what what to do. You've got mountains on both sides. You have no idea. They're, they seem like they're coming in on you. And you've got an enemy that's about ready to tear you apart. And all you can do is all you can see is is just water behind you. And by the way, the Red Sea is a very large body of water. It's not like the, the, the small Missouri River or some of these rivers around here where you can just paddle through it. You could make it through eventually. They weren't going to make it through it and they knew it. But watch what he says to them and I want to end it with this. Go to this and you've probably read this. It says in verse number 15, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Why are you crying to me? I've put you right where you need to be i put you right where you need to be. Speaking to the children of Israel, and I love, if you mark anything in your Bible, mark these next four words. That they go forward. Now I will tell you this, when you read this story, it makes no logical sense. Because when they go forward, they're looking at a body of water. They have no earthly idea what God's going to do. And I'm probably, there's probably some Baptist in there and said, I knew we should have brought our boats. They can't get across the water. They have no idea what's going to happen. But God says, move forward. When you don't know what to do, just trust in Him. If you truly believe that the blood is important, He will not lead you wrong, He knows you. Satan thinks he's got all the answer. He doesn't. But God puts you through struggles and trials to make you what you need to be. And he says, just go forward. Isn't God good? You know, when I, when I think about that verse about going forward, Bernard, there's one verse I think of. Solomon wrote it. And it's a verse everybody knows. I want you to finish it with me. Because if there's anything... That these two verses sum up. It's the sum up of the story where God says, listen, he's looking, the Egyptians are coming this way. There's a mountain on this side, a mountain ridge on this side. They can't go back. There's no way they can go back. And there's this body of water and God says, go forward. It's this verse, say it with me. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge Him, and guess what? He shall direct thy path. If there's not a verse that doesn't mean that, it's that verse right there. When you read that verse, he says, go forward. I'm telling you, you've got to trust in the Lord. I don't know what you're going to go through in 2020. Oh, it scares me to think it's an election year. Praise God. It scares me to think of all the commercials we're going to have to endure from August to, I mean, it'll probably start in July, but I'm thinking August, September, October. I will be crazy. I will watch those and and they'll tell me who to vote and I won't know who it is and I won't know anything about it. I don't know what's going to happen in 2020, but I do know this. I have a Savior that that tells me that blood's important. I have a God that knows me. I have a God that's with me. I have his adversary that thinks he knows everything, but he doesn't because God's bigger and greater than he is. And then I also know that God will allow struggles and troubles and problems in my life to make me reliant upon him. See, we read the story and we know how it ends. They get on the other side. But when we're, we stop this line right here, when God tells them to move forward, if you were to put yourself in their place, how can we do it? Just wait. God has the power to stop water, and he also has the power to dry land. Sometimes we don't know what we're going through, but God sure wants us to trust him.